Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi, welcome to Parenting the Adlerian Way. I'm your host, Adlerian family counselor and parenting expert, Allison Schaefer. Each week, I answer your burning parenting questions to help reduce the stress of parenting one tip at a time. We'll explore Adlerian psychology together and learn methods of child guidance for raising a happy, confident, capable, resilient child. Hi, welcome back to the podcast. It's Allison Schaefer here, parenting expert, family counselor, specializing in Adlerian psychology. Welcome. Today we have another Q&A, so I thank you for your questions. If you have a question for me, uh, in the show notes, I have my email address. You can just send me an email and I answer things anonymously. This is our last Q&A for the next two weeks because I've got two great authors uh, that I'm interviewing, so look forward to those, but let's get going today. Question number one, how do I deal with perfectionism? I have a kid that beats himself up if they don't get a certain mark or goals in a game, etc. Uh, so, you know, I've answered similar questions, but I'm going to go ahead and answer this again because I know not everybody goes back through the uh, archives. Um, but again, seeing this question through the lens of Adlerian psychology, I need to go back and go over a little bit of theory before I give you sort of practical tips and parenting advice on, on how to correct this. So what we need to know is that our children are born and come into this world and they have very big eyes. They are very observant. They are taking everything in, drinking everything up. And their job is to make sense of life and to figure out what is their place in it. And so while they're keen observers, which is true, you have to remember that they're working with an infant brain. And so our brains are really not developed at this time in life. Our intellect is not developed at this time of life. It's a very immature brain. 
and it's trying to make a lot of conclusions quickly. And so it makes a lot of erroneous, mistaken ideas about life and how to fit into it. And so a common mistaken conclusion that is uh, one of an eldest child, she doesn't say the name of her child who's a perfectionist, but I'm going to guess it's an eldest. We'll see if I'm right or not. (laughs) But it's not uncommon for eldest children to come to the conclusion that I must be first and best. And therefore, if I'm first and best, then I am assured my place, my significance, my belonging. That's how I will attain my sense of security and safety. Um, Now, the problem with this, of course, is that when they live by this rule, that if they find that they are not first and not best, or they lose the game, or they didn't get the A+, it's not like they have common sense where the rest of us would shrug it off and sort of say, ah, oh, well, second place is pretty good or a B plus is pretty good or, well, we won the last game. That would be in line with common sense. But to these kids, the reason why you get the big dramatic explosions when they're not first and best is because for them to not be first and best means I'm worthless. I'm worthless. I've lost my place. I've lost my significance. This is being, that, that that would help us have a little compassion and empathy for why they're lying on the floor having the tantrum when they wanted to push the button in the elevator and their younger sibling jumped in and pushed it first and now they're not first and best. And uh, so now they feel like they've they've lost their place. So it is, it is dramatic for them. So uh, I, I think it's important that in order to understand this a little deeper and then to know the applications of how we go about changing this is to draw on the work of Lydia Schickler, who's also an Adlerian. And she's responsible for um, the contribution of discussing this idea of striving. Um, So Adler talked about um, behavior. When we look at children's behavior, adults' behavior, anyone's behavior, it's it's a choice. It's often a pre-conscious choice, but we're choosing to move in a certain direction. Um, behavior is movement. We want to watch for movement and that all movement, all behavior is moving in a direction that is towards a goal. It's goal-oriented behavior. What are they trying to accomplish? What are they trying to get to? And so what Lydia Schickler said was that we could kind of think of striving as being in two directions. You could either strive horizontally or you could strive vertically. So the child who wants to be first and best is striving for perfection striving to inflate their ego. This is vertical striving, that they sort of see that that human worth is on a measuring scale, that there is sort of good, better, best, and they want to be the best. They want to inflate and be superior over other people. How do I come off looking? I want to be better than other people. Um, and so this is really about that the, the ego, superiority, better than others, prestige, um, status, and um, it also means that they're tying their status and their prestige to to outcomes and performance outcomes, which we very much do in North American culture. We send a great message to kids, you're only as good as what you're doing, um, you know, whether you're winning the game or stacking the blocks or cycling the fastest. We, we put a lot of energy into focusing on that in our culture. So they're tying their performance to their worth. Parents are praising them for being perfect and and uh, being the best. So we reinforce that. Our culture reinforces that. But it also means that the reciprocal is true. It means that mistakes are taken as personal failures. 
And so if you don't win, if you make a mistake, then your value comes down, your your ego comes down, you're not superior to others anymore. Now suddenly you're, uh, somebody else is the best and you're only good. And so it, it's very competitive and it's uh, very anxiety producing. And you can also see that it's also depression in, in, you know, inducing because how long are you going to strive if you feel that success is never within your reach? So you give up. And so um, uh, you're, you're, if you're anxious, you're going to say, I'm only as good as the last good thing I did. I wonder if I can do it again and again and again. You can never rest on your laurels. And if you finally fail and the goal is bigger than you can accomplish, then you check out and, and depression can set in and we stop movement. So Lydia says the other way that's more in line with common sense and what we want to teach our kids to do is to strive in a horizontal fashion that says you are born as a human being and your worth is completely intact because you are a person of the world and your birthright is to be worthy. And you may learn how to walk and talk and do math and learn soccer skills and win games and lose games. And you're going to grow and you're going to better your skill set and you're going to improve and gain mastery in all these wonderful areas of life that we should be excited and curious about. But when it means that when you know more skills and you grow, your ego, you you don't become a better person, you become a more masterful person. So it's not about superiority. It's not about prestige. Um, it's about helpfulness, contribution, growth, mastery. And, and so therefore, mistakes are not viewed as being threatening because you're not going to be deflated in your value if you make a mistake. And in fact, what we find is that if we embrace mistakes and we get good at making mistakes, we are more likely to continue our growth. And, you know, as um, we've seen in research that it takes about 10,000 hours to get to mastery. So you've got to have 10,000 hours of being able to struggle through the pain of making mistakes. And if your ego is threatened every time, you're not going to stick it out. Um, and so, so the idea here is that we want to change the child's private logic. We want to change the, the the direction of their striving. And so how do we go about that as a parent? If if you're understanding, you know, what I'm uh, saying from where it is, um, the, the theoretical tenets that are in play when a child does this. So the first thing I would say as a parent is that we need to model having the courage to be imperfect. If we want our children to have the courage to be imperfect, then we have to show them through how we live our life. So ask yourself, how do you tackle life? Um, do you berate yourself when you make mistakes? Got to stop doing that. What do you think kids make when they hear you beat yourself up because you burnt the casserole or you took the wrong turn off the highway? If all they see is these competent giants in their life doing everything perfectly because you've been on the planet for 30, 40, 50 years and you've got all these skills and they never see you do something sloppy, they never see you be a learner, they never see you on your um, arc gaining towards mastery, then of course they're going to think that everything should just start being perfect. And so... Often as adults, we don't have a lot of courage to be imperfect. So what do we do? We limit the scope of what we do to things that we do easily and perfectly. And of course, then kids do that. They um, they see us riding a bike and getting on and just riding away. So they think they should just get on a bike and ride away. And when they fall over and fall down and then they go like, well, I'm, I'm never riding a bike again. Um, so they need to see, they need to see us going from incompetent and without skills and going through that learning curve. So find what, what can you do to demonstrate to your child the process of persistence so that they can watch you be a learner as well. There's a great saying that, you know, in our heads, a lot of people 
grew up with the idea, if it's worth doing, it's worth doing well. And I would argue that completely goes against what I'm teaching here. We instead want to replace that with, if it's worth doing, it's worth doing poorly. Because of the word worth, because you've already just predicated it by saying it's worthy. If it's a worthy activity, then just give it your best. You know, if it's worth doing some fundraising, fundraise for a couple of dollars. You know, if it's worth doing a, going for a run, it doesn't have to be a marathon. If it's healthy for your heart, go do a short run. If it's worth doing, it's worth doing poorly. So change your chant. Get that one in the family um, uh, vernacular. And it really comes down to then really talking about our attitudes towards mistakes. And, and a lot of that comes under the banner of what it truly means to live the art of being an encouraging parent. Encouragement is a word that we toss around in Adlerian psychology, but it is a very rich construct. Um, and it really is um, complex, but part of it is about that word courage that's right in the middle, encouraging, the courage to be imperfect. So we're, we're going to embrace mistakes. They're uh, learning opportunities. And we're going to put a focus instead of on things being perfect, perfection, completed, you know, done to some measurement scale that uh, a parent has set up. We're going to instead focus on effort, effort and improvement, effort and improvement. Um, so we want to comment when your child's like trying to peel a hard boiled egg and the shell is sticking. And when they finally rip a chunk away and it takes a big hunk of the white flesh and they're getting frustrated instead of putting the egg down and walking away, or taking the job away from them and saying, here, here, I'll do it. You know, you're wrecking the egg. No, instead, we're going to stand beside them and say, oh, that egg is really giving you a challenge today. Look at how it's trying to grip onto that shell. But you know what? You're working at heart. I can see that you're taking your time and you're figuring out your strategy and you're sticking your thumb under there. And sometimes it's working and sometimes it's not. But boy, are you sticking with this challenge. So you're talking about that grit and persistence. We're not talking about how the egg looks perfect at the end. And when it is, ah, it's good enough. So what? We'll peel three more. We'll chop them up. No one will ever notice. We're fine with that. Uh, if they're drawing a picture, we don't want to say, oh, nice picture. I like your flower. That's about final and, and perfected. And who says what a flower looks like? Who are you to be the art critic? But if you say, oh, look at, I'm paying attention. You, you got your tongue sticking out of the side of your mouth and you're looking at all your crayons and you're really working hard to decide what color you're going to use next. And looks like you've really liked the orange crayon in this one. All those things are encouraging. They're comments. They're process oriented. Um, and so... Um, we could also remind them uh, about how in the past, when they stuck with something, it led to improvement. So you can say, you know, there was a time when you didn't know any of your letters and you had to learn 26 letters of the alphabet. And you did that because you practiced, practiced, practiced. And look at you now. Now you know how to read books. And there was a time when um, you couldn't read books and now you're reading this book and eventually you'll know bigger words and you'll be able to read bigger books. And all of that's going to come if you practice, practice, practice. So um, if you see that your child is beating themselves up and I can't read that word and I can't ride that bike and my flower looks awful and they crunch up the page or I lost the game and, and they start to get really down on themselves, then you know we can just sort of do some active listening and say, well, you really want me to know that you have very high standards for yourself and you don't like when things don't go the, the way you plan. You really had an idea in your mind of how that picture was going to come out and how that flower was going to look. 
and then your hand did not do what your mind thought it was going to be, or you really wanted to win this game. You like to be a winner, and and this game you lost. Well, I'm you know I'm so sorry that you're disappointed with how things went. But you know, if you always won, if you always won, wouldn't that mean that the other team would always have to lose? Now think about that for a second. Would you? Keep coming back again and again and again and again if your fate was that you were going to lose every single time? Don't you think it's better to live in a world where sometimes you win and sometimes you lose and you don't know until you show up? And so really, the idea isn't about win, 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 win. Of course, not that winning isn't nice too, but isn't it really about being able to play a game so that people show up the next time? (laughs) So sometimes we have to do a refrain on that with our kids. And so hopefully over time with all those things adding up, they can release that need for perfection and that uh, vertical striving and and start to embrace more the horizontal, less competitive striving and seeing the common sense behind that and and seeing the the socially interested motivation um, that's included in that. Yes. So I hope that's, it's, uh, and sometimes our kids are so gripped to that, that we need to go off to play therapy. And we have other ways of, of creating experiential situations with our children to go about challenging and changing uh, their private logic. And um, I hope I have Terry Cotman on in the future. She's agreed to, to record with me in the fall. So um, I'll reach out to her and we'll talk about how that might look in a therapeutic play, play therapy situation. Question number two, how do you make kids more organized? (laughs) Um, So what I would say is order, an orderly home, an orderly classroom is, is really important. So first of all, there's just modeling. We need to show kids that that our house has an order, not just in terms of cleanliness, and you don't have to be neat as a pin, but we do want to give them the idea that it's sort of respect for the order of the home uh, and that we don't want to overwhelm them with too much being out and too much mess and too much chaos and not enough pattern, not enough rhythm. So I would say keep your home tidy, make sure that, that that things have a place and make sure that your day has some rituals so that they start to learn that. You you might need to, you know, Maria Kondo your home and downsize the number of toys in your toy room. You might need to you know, downsize so that your breakfast is a, a, a simple meal that can get cleaned up after. But really what we want to do is, is teach our kids about expectations and then do what we call take time for training. So it may be that if you want your kids to be organized, we start with the expectation that after we play a game, we put all the pieces back in the box and we put it back on the shelf before we start the next game. This is very Montessori, right? And so we have to teach them first this, then that. In our home to respect order, we need to clean up before we move on. And so let's show them how to put everything in the box and look for the pieces and make sure that there is room on the shelf that you're not, you don't have 50 million toys out at the same time. Uh, even in our nursery school, we would rotate some of the toys, and uh, and I learned to do that in my own home. Uh, we also would take sheets, colorful sheets, and we would like drape them over certain toy areas that were not um, open at the time, so that there was only certain things to draw kids' attention to. It it sort of helps the um, uh, keep from the overwhelm. And so uh, you can use a good sort of like first this, then that. First we clean up our toys, then we um, pick the next one. And if they stop helping and they're not putting the the toy pieces back, 
We can say, you know, nope, it doesn't look like you're ready for the next toy yet. We need to have, well, you've got a job to do. We need to get this one looked after. And so you need to hold them accountable so that they, they understand that. Same thing with take time for training with the knapsack. If you're keeping them organized because you're remembering their agenda and you're remembering their paperwork and you're remembering their lunch and you're remembering to put in a water bottle and a mask, they're not learning because you're the one doing all the organizing. You have to take time for training. So you have to work with the child. The child has to be an active participant. And you want to say, hey, you know, the things that go to school with you is your responsibility. And I'd like to help you get organized so that nothing gets left behind. What do you think is a good way to do that? And um, so, you know, maybe the child helps create a checklist. And even if they can't write, they can draw the pictures. So draw a picture of your water bottle, draw a picture of your mask. And then, you know, we can have a little whiteboard and hang it by the front door. And so, you know, you, if you'd like, you can tick this off and do your little inventory and, and uh, check, your, check your backpack every morning. If you've got older kids and that seems too juvenile, maybe you want to use some apps that are like reminders or notes or or lists. Um, it's the same process, and and then not rescue them when they when they fall off track. Because remember, I just said in in my earlier question, mistakes are not something to be afraid of or ashamed of. They're things that help us learn. So I know I once lost my purse because I was not organized. I was not paying attention. And with my purse was my wallet, and I had to replace all my ID. Can I tell you, it is a pain in the butt to wait for all your credit cards to come back, your birth certificate, your social security number. Now I don't carry those things in my wallet anymore because I learned. Um, but I've never lost my my purse and wallet since because what that did was it taught me to be more organized. And now I like, check, 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 where's my purse? Check, check, where's my purse? Check, check, where's my purse? And so... If you're a child who leaves their lunch because they didn't do their checklist of their backpack at the door and they leave their lunch, then that's a mistake. They were unorganized. And they're not going to die from that. Somebody's going to give them a soda cracker. Somebody's going to give them half a sandwich. But if what they learn is that if you forget your knapsack or your journal or your homework and then your parent jumps in the car and drives it to school, then they're saved from the mistake. And so they just count on you as being a safety net and they don't learn to be organized. They've got a plan B that involves you. So no, I would not rescue them from that mistake. I would let them live out that mistake and and know that that's um, just, you know, be compassionate. You know, oh, I'm so sorry. What did you do without your homework? You know, did the teacher take marks off or is she going to let you hand it in later? What did you do when everyone was taking up homework? You know, you just be kind and compassionate and trust that the mistake will do the teaching. You don't need to add lecturing or morals of the story to that. They're, they're, they will learn. And then sometimes the organization is maybe something a little different. Maybe it's about school organization and like maybe they've got like a big project. Well, a lot of times in our schools, they do actually um, set things up to help kids learn some of those skills. Uh, there's even courses in organization, but for example, it might be that if there's start, if you're starting to do bigger projects that take several weeks that have different components, the teacher might say something like, so for this project, we're going to start with having you uh, decide on the topic. Okay. So you're going to do elephants. Great. I need to know your topic by Friday. And now by Monday, I need you to have a list of reference books that you're going to use to make your project about elephants. And so Monday, they now have the, the the list of resource books has to be handed in. And maybe by Friday, you have to have an outline of what your essay or project's going to look like. And then maybe by the next week, you have to hand in your first draft. So by breaking it down into these little modules, the kids are learning to take one big task with different sub timelines and, and then stay on track. 
And if they've got that model, then maybe they need to do that about something else. So maybe it's, uh, listen, you know, you, um, you're trying to make plans for your uh, teenage friends for reading week. Um, what would be your deadline for deciding where you're going to go? What would be your deadline for booking the plane tickets? What would be your deadline for checking? And just the same way with a school project, you're just asking curiosity questions. If you see that they're not doing anything and you start saying like, hey, it's Friday, you better call the airlines. Again, the kids are getting the idea that you are paying attention to their schedule, that you're tracking deadlines, that you're going to be a reminder, that you're not going to let them fall far from grace. But, you know, if they miss booking those plane tickets and it's like, oh, yeah, I'm sorry. Apparently tickets sell out fast. I'm so sorry you're going to have to change your location or come up with something else. It's okay for our kids to face some disappointment. Um, It'll help. But if you keep stepping in and protecting them from the reality of life and rescuing them, they're not they aren't going to learn how to be organized. They're going to let you organize them. <laughs> so I hope that helps. And my third question today really came from a conversation I had at, at uh, one of my online webinars. So it was a, a good discussion about clothing allowance. And um, so I wanted to, I think that's such a great idea to have a clothing allowance when once you get your kids into middle school, high school, it really is just a part of financial literacy, teaching our kids uh, about how to plan, how much things cost, um, h- how to spend money in a way that is um, has better value. Of course, you know they want everything and everything expensive when you're opening up the wallet. But when they have to figure out how to make purchases on a budget, then they start getting much more discriminating in in making their choices, and that's a, really an important skill. So a lot of parents say, like, I don't have money to put my kids on a clothing allowance, and I would say. It should not cost you anything to put a child on a clothing allowance. Really what we're saying is I used to be responsible for buying your clothes. And I did that within our family budget. And I sort of had a number in my mind of what I was able to to spend on your clothing. And now I'm just going to give you the money and the responsibility for making the purchases. But um, we got to kind of work on what was really already in the budget for my socioeconomic status anyways. So when you create that budget, we have to own up to the fact that, you know, we had children and just like we have to house them and feed them, we also have to clothe them. But we don't have to clothe them in, you know, Canadian down thousand dollar winter jackets. We can say, I'm responsible to make sure that you've got, I don't know, three pairs of pants, seven tops. And if they've got, you know, if they need a new knapsack because they don't like their old knapsack, then, you know, you can say, well, your old knapsack's perfectly fine. You can sell it on eBay or you can buy your own knapsack with your own money. But the the one you have that I bought is perfectly usable. And so I've fulfilled my commitment as a parent to make sure that your needs are met. If you want something above and beyond, that's on you. So you kind of, you know, okay, so three pairs of pants, seven tops, pair of runners, you know, whatever it might be. Then you can break it down into like, so what are the three price points? You know, are we a Tiger brand Walmart family? Is that where I would normally shop for you or the price point that I would pay for for pants? Or are you more like middle end? Are you, you know, Hudson Bay or whatever? What's the price point for jeans in that range? Or are you high end? Are you are you the three hundred dollar jeans family? And lots of families are. I didn't even know jeans could go as high as three hundred dollars. But <laughs> if you've been buying your kid three hundred dollar jeans and you fall into that category, then fine, you put that in your budget. I'm not going to put that in my budget. I'm going to put in sixty bucks in my budget for your jeans. Uh, and if they want to pay for the brand, they can top that up and pitch in the extra thirty or whatever it is. Um, and so yeah, I think it's good because then kids have a, a notion of 
um, wanting to save, wanting to have some skin in the game, getting that part-time job, doing some babysitting, saving up money instead of wasting it. And they're not going to squander it. They're they're not going to leave their jeans at their friends sleep over and leave their coat at school because this is their their money, their investment. They're going to be way better with cleaning, washing their clothes, looking after their clothes. And they're also going to realize you don't need to have the Tommy Hellfinger undershirt that no one sees the logo. Go get that at H&M and spend the extra money on the the shirt on top that people can see. So they start getting very smart with their money and savvy. And we know kids learn experientially, so that's a great way for them to learn. And then you're not fighting in the change room, you know. It's not kids begging you, please, 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 can I have this? You know, if you've already said you need three sweaters for the fall then that's between them and the money that they've got. So I'm I'm no longer having to police this and getting into fights about it. It means you have to let go of some control parents. You might say like, I don't like that shirt. It's too skimpy or too revealing. And they're going to buy stuff that maybe you don't like, but um, they're becoming their own people. And so long as the school doesn't send them home because it breaks their school dress code, uh, you know, that's kind of on them. Certainly I did talk to my kids about how you want to represent yourself from a, yeah, there's a feminist part of me that wants to talk about how we're being portrayed and why and women empowerment and, and uh, what our body means. I don't think women have to change how they're dressing because of all this hashtag me too. Like that was on you. You were dressing slutty. You were asking for it. You know, I, there's more to have to that conversation than this particular clothing allowance, but I'm assuming that those conversations are happening in addition to the money questions. I think the other thing for setting our kids up for success is Let's say, for example, you write the clothing allowance for the whole year and they need to buy a winter coat and boots. Well, those are bigger ticket items. And so if they, you divide that by 52 weeks of the year and you're giving them a clothing allowance every week, then you're kind of expecting them to like save $2.50 every week so that by the time they get up to the winter months that they've got a stockpile of money to buy their coats. When they're learning, you're kind of likely going to be setting them up for um, for a disappointment. There w- there will be that mistake, and you will have a kid who said, "Oh no, you know, I didn't save my money. I I bought extra shirts in the spring, and I got a bathing suit that was expensive in the summer, and now I don't have money for my jacket." I think you're better to um, pay out your kids when they do back to school shopping. So that you do that in, say, August, September, so they have their back-to-school money. And then maybe November, December, you say, now it's time. Here's your winter budget, because now you're going to need your your coat, coats and boots and maybe some other additional sweaters. Um, and then spring and summer. So I think four times a year where you kind of give them maybe like more en masse, a chunk of money rather than the weekly is, I think, going to be more likely to lead to their successfully being able to, to spend that accordingly. So there's my advice. Get your kids on a clothing allowance. And um, I hope this has been helpful. We will catch you next week. Have a great day. As you know, it takes a village to make a podcast. So thanks to my team, including Max Cotter, my editor and technician, as well as the crew at H2O Digital. This podcast was recorded in Toronto, Canada. We acknowledge the land we are meeting on is the traditional territory of many nations, including the Mississaugas of the Credit, the Anishinaabek, the Chippewa, the Haudenosaunee, and the Wendat people, and is now home to many diverse First Nations, Inuit and Métis. We also acknowledge that Toronto is covered by Treaty 13 with the Mississaugas of the Credit. Hold up. 
If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.